This is Y-Tune Shuffle. Y-Tune Shuffle, it's the music that informs our lives. The rules here are that there are no rules other than just bring in your music, mm. hit play. And then we get to pick your brain about why those songs. This is this is me in college. It's one of those songs that doesn't make any sense, but it just makes you feel warm inside. And I don't just just getting ready to tackle the world and also just coming back home and and just kind of yeah, just being everywhere and nowhere at once. It's a very it's 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 a celestial song. It's it's heavenly. Welcome to Y Tunes Shuffle, a celebration of the music that inspires our lives. With your host, comedian and radio personality Maggie Mayfield, and Hollywood's secret weapon David Earl Waterman. This is Y Tune Shuffle. Here we go. Yeah, this is called Y Tune Shuffle. It is my favorite thing to do in the whole wide world. My name is Maggie Mayfield, your host, with my co host David Earl Waterman, aka <laughs> Hollywood's secret weapon. Hello, everybody. It's been a minute, and our guest today, I'm so glad you're in studio today. Please welcome Mike McCreevy. Mike. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And we were connected by our mutual good friend, Mark Wallengren, who is a host of the afternoon show on KOST 103.5 in Los Angeles, whom I work for. Coast 103.5, Coast 103. <laughs> it's been through a lot. Uh, it's been a long, a long morning already. Already. <laughs> That's what two cups of coffee will do to you. Yeah. And can you briefly describe how you and Mark know each other yeah mark and i go way back as i told you uh his mom married my father's best friend a long time ago so the two families sort of you know came together at that point and mark is younger than me i i, I did that for you mark i know you paid me to do that. <laughs> uh, so we always sort of thought of, of mark as as the youngster but i do remember uh, even when he was very young that he was fascinated with radio, which mm-hmm. was fascinating. And uh, Rod Peterson, his stepfather, started in radio with my dad in Phoenix. That's how they became friends. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I gave Mark not long ago, he has a wonderful picture of Rod and my dad in the studio at KTAR in about 1945, mm-hmm. doing a, a, a live show called uh, uh, Arizona Adventures, I think, that they would do every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark wanted the picture mainly because of Rod and John, my dad. But uh, the other neat thing about it is he collects microphones. Uh, yeah. Mark oh, cool. Does. He and does, yeah. He had the exact microphone that they were standing in front of. Uh, this, I mean, the same uh, brand, you know, which was like 1945. So, wow. Yeah. Now, you're no stranger to a microphone you, or being in front of a camera. You started doing that when you were very young. Uh, seven years old. Yeah, I uh, I was in dance class. I wanted to be uh, Gene Kelly. Is basically what what I like told who my didn't? mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. You didn't want to no, be Gene? No, okay. Fred Astaire. Oh, okay. oh, okay. Well, Fred. Yeah, and I I would have loved it, but I I there was something about Kelly that I could relate to a little bit more. I think I don't think it could ever be as smooth. As They're Fred beautiful. All. But anyhow, yeah. I wanted to be a dancer, and and. Uh, just by accident, the, the dance school that I was at, um, the owner was a, a man named Gower Champion, Marge and Gower Champion, who were a famous dance team back in the... Uh, Gower later became a very famous Broadway director. Bye Bye Birdie, uh, oh, 42nd Street, that's so uh, cool. mm. uh, Mame, tons of stuff. He was doing a picture at RKO with uh, Jane Powell, uh, 
and it was called The Girl Most Likely, and there was a sequence where the 10 kids, it was a dream sequence, 10 Indians, she was the squaw, and Cliff Robertson was her chief. Um, uh, it was a, a, a dance sequence. So he went to the dance school to find people, and because I don't think I was that good a dancer, but I was a cute little red-headed kid, and uh, I got... Did that movie, and that was the beginning of it all. You were a redheaded kid that played an Indian as your first role? Absolutely. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think yeah. Nav- Navajo. Jane, or... Jane Powell is a Navajo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was 1954. That's so, a, yeah. perfect <laughs> casting. Perfect casting. <laughs> so that that was how it began, yeah. And, and I had no intention of being an actor. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a dancer, which I did do the dance for quite a few years, but the acting sort of crept in. And this was in Los Angeles where you were studying dance. Yes. I, I started in, in Connecticut as a five or six-year-old. And Born my, my dad was a, a television writer. For Ra- who? Radio and television, for every everything. Like he, your show of shows? or uh, No, he did not do comedy in oh. New York. Oh, okay. Uh, he did, uh, but he did do Playhouse 90. Playhouse uh, 90, yeah, wow. Yeah, there you go. So uh, no wonder you're... And then he came out here and did shows like Climax and, uh, yeah. Cool. And, my father is has the most credits of any film or television writer ever. Uh, Interesting. He has over 400 Finnish shows. Uh, Interesting. Uh, so, He's been busy. Yes, he was a busy man, uh, Emmy winner, a lot of great shows. But uh, that's why we came to Los Angeles was the uh, television in those days sort of moved from New York City to Los Angeles. As, a, as an actor... Uh, and then as a comic, you know, there's this vision of milestones, goals, you know, achievements in that particular discipline. But as a dancer, what goes through the head of a young man studying dance? Like, where do you see yourself? Where did you most want to be with your dancing? Mm-hmm. Well, Gene Kelly. <laughs> no. uh, of course. Yeah, but, but no. Uh, the, the cross the board. I there... was so young that I didn't really realize what the steps were. It, mm-hmm. it was interesting that, that uh, as a adolescent... I sort of gave up the dancing, and I, I regret that now. It was more of a uh, male thing. It was, you know, dancing wasn't macho enough. Uh, Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, that's and, what people told Patrick Swayze, and he beat people with his ballet shoes. There, like, there we go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, then you look at someone like Mikhail Baryshnikov, and you say, that's a man. You mm-hmm. know? Um, but I regret that that was sort of an influence on me to not continue the great thing happened was that my daughter did complete her dance career. She she came in as a three year old into into my uh, my room and said, "Daddy, I want to be a ballerina." <laughs> and I said, "Okay, yeah." And she became a ballerina. Yeah, wow. and, uh, so I I did get a chance to see her go mm-hmm. all the way through it all. So it was a it was fate stepped in and gave the, you an acting role. The and acting then sort of took over, yeah, yeah. which which. You know, great. And Which led you to meet some iconic folks in the industry that you might know by the name of Walt Disney. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and helped raise a lot of us or, in this room right yeah. here now <laughs> in terms of entertainment. Or, as I have always said, Mr. Disney. Oh. Yeah. And he always said, call me Uncle Walt. No, oh, man. that's cool. And I said, okay, Mr. Disney. <laughs> well played. Last week I did an interview at the Gene Autry Museum about... My 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 westerns that I've been involved in, mm-hmm. and uh, they also had Bill Moomy. I don't know if you, he, the Lost in Space, yeah, Will yep, Robinson, yep. Uh-huh. Danger, Will Robinson, and Bill and I played brothers in three different Disney films, and uh, 
we were reminiscing, and Bill told this great story. The first film we did, Sammy the Way Out Seal, uh, Bill was probably about six, and I was probably nine. And uh, he got a, a, a message that, that Mr. Disney wanted to see him. And uh, after lunch, he went up to the office, and he walked into the office alone, and I said, hello, Mr. Disney, and, and, he, and he said, call me Uncle Walt. And then he proceeded to just sort of do small talk with Billy, this six-year-old. Recognizing probably this kid has got so right. many yeah. talents. and yeah. But the bottom line was, he said, so everything's okay? And Bill said, yeah, I like the director. I like Mike McGreevy, blah, blah, blah. We're having fun with the seal. And, and, and uh, the work is good. And, and finally, Mr. Disney stopped him and said, yeah, but Billy, just tell me one thing. Are you having fun? Wow. Is that it? That's, I mean, what, that, more, what more? Yeah. Yeah. It hurts Definitely. me so much when people, I do interviews about uh, Walt Disney, and, and uh, they always try to go for this dark side. That, oh. You know, and I never saw it, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't around him that much, but I used to play ping pong with him every, at lunchtime. They had a ping pong tables at the studio. and uh, That's something else. Yeah. I never beat him. <laughs> which made my mom feel very good about my job security uh-huh. uh but uh, on purpose no i could never beat him the funny thing is a very good friend of mine uh, kurt russell uh, who i did a lot of movies later at disney with who obviously knew uncle walt too one time we roomed together for and one night we were sitting around and i said uh, well i used to play ping pong with Walt and and Kurt said, "So did I." <laughs> and I, I said, "Yeah, I never beat him." And Kurt said, "So typical, Kurt." He said, "Oh, I waxed him all the time." I, I <laughs> but uh, yeah, Walt Disney was, as you'll see from one of my song choices, mm-hmm. he was very important to me. And uh, I look back on that time at the studio as probably the most fun I ever had in the business. Yeah. Wow, that's saying a lot because you went on to do a lot of writing. Also. Yes. Yeah. Sort of followed in my father's footsteps at a certain point. I went to UCLA and, and uh, was in the film school there uh, with the intent of directing. And then I realized very quickly that the way to get into directing was to, to write. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, my acting career, unfortunately, had sort of dried up because of the Disney experience. I had become typed at one point. I did a series of movies with Kurt Russell at the studio. Um Shaggy DA, computer wore tennis shoes. Yeah, there you I, go. I remember the State Theater in Ithaca, New York, and watching the computer wore tennis <laughs> well, shoes. I was Richard Schuyler. I know you were. Was... I know you were. I'm freaking <laughs> out. I'm freaking out, Mike. The world is crazy. This is so amazing. And what's funny is Kurt and I still, when we text each other, I go, hi, Dex. He's, Dex. He's Dexter. Great yeah. 50s, That's 60s And he goes, names. Schuyler. So... Which sort of drives our wives up, up the wall, but uh, yeah, and uh, that that career, the the acting career, unfortunately started to slow down. But I had always wanted to move to the other side of the camera, and with the help of my dad and some other great Rod Peterson, who was mm-hmm. was Mark's uh, stepfather, and uh, a guy named Earl Hamner Jr., who created the Waltons. Uh, uh, they became and uh, another guy, Michael Landon. Um, became mm-hmm. my mentors about becoming a writer. Mm. That's amazing. And that's the other thing that, you know, the young artists in in your audience, uh, I always try to say this, you have to reinvent yourself if you want longevity. 
that rather than sitting around when the acting started to slow down, I, I, I started writing like Matt and finally sold a couple things and that took off too. So Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to hear the songs that you brought. And these are surprises to me, ladies and gentlemen. I love this. Dave's going to. All right, here we go. You won't remember any of them, Dave. Song number one. Watch me. Swinging on us. You make me feel so young. Okay. You make me feel so spring has sprung. And every time I see you grin, I'm such a happy individual. The moment that you speak. I love him. The chairman of the board, ladies and gentlemen. The chairman of the board. I want to go and bounce the moon. All right, so there's a Y tunes connection there. Oh, the Frank Sinatra! Mm-hmm. I want to hear Mike Sinatra. I know. In my so, yeah. well, I wish it was about Sinatra. I never met Sinatra. Oh, actually, I almost did. <laughs> he was in uh, a bathroom with me one time. But oh, I wow. just, That's close enough. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't have. I thought this is too sleazy to go up and say, Mister Sinatra. Uh, but the song itself means an awful lot to me. I was uh, after I did the Jane Powell movie. The assistant choreographer on that was hired to be the choreographer and uh, 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 sequence director for a uh, television show called The Giselle McKenzie Show. And Giselle was a Canadian, a French-Canadian singer who Jack Benny discovered uh, and brought down. She also played wonderful violin. If you go on YouTube and look up Giselle and Benny, Jack Benny, there is they had a routine where they would... Do dueling violins. That's cool. That is one of the funniest things you've ever seen. (laughs) Anyhow, I became, they decided that Giselle, rather than have the typical four dancer, singer guys, you know, around her on the show. Oh, the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was going to have four little boys. Awesome. (gasps) Awesome. And they called us the curfew kids. (laughs) 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 And... Uh, so we started, I, I became a curfew kid. Like eight, nine years old? I was nine. Okay. And uh, there was a guy named Dickie Dodd who later went on to, uh, uh, he was a great drummer and, and, and singer too. It was that song that they always play at the Boston Red Sox songs, uh, Dirty Water. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know the name water. of the band. Well, that, I love that dirty water. Bump, bump, Boston, you're my home. Bump, bump, bump. Whoa, what's amazing? That's Dickie he was, singing. He was a curfew kid. He was a curfew kid. Uh, <laughs> and my, myself, a guy named Ricky Dorn. I, I, I'm, I'm, I was trying to think the other day, I think I'm the last surviving curfew kid. But, wow. But anyhow, you're beyond curfew. One of the numbers that we did was, you make me feel so young. Oh, wow. Uh, the other thing is, Giselle McKenzie was my first, I thought I was going to marry Giselle. Oh. Mm. Uh, I was nine years old and she was 32. <laughs> it's Hollywood. I was going to work it out. Yeah. I, I was madly in love with this woman and <laughs> for good reason. I mean, she was just, and she adored me. Did that make it weird with the other curfew kids? It did. I was her favorite and she made it quite clear. Oh, wow. It was interesting. Uh, I loved it, but. Uh, sure. And uh, so this song we did on one of the episodes it ran for two years. The show ran for two years, and then we went on the road with her. We did Vegas. We did uh, we wow. did that Copacabana in New York. We did. We went to Havana and did the Copa down there. Wow. Before Fidel? No, it had just happened. And you went there after? Good yeah. grief! Yeah, we we did a weekend there. 
Mike, How, I'm sorry. I, it's, <laughs> this is incredible. The, you started young enough. Was this like, you know, we read so much about childhood trauma and workload. Yeah. Was it intimidating? Were, no, were you never? I was lucky. I, I I do know a good friend of mine is a guy named Paul Peterson who has a, a group called A Minor Consideration, and obviously child actors can suffer anybody great trauma. Any yeah. kid, anyway. But no, it is. It's it, you're in an adult world, and they're using you, and then you find out later that they they were using you. That that, and as a kid, you were doing it because you wanted to please everybody. You know. I was You're not. A kid. One, yeah, you don't know. I was not one of those kids. Thank God. I had a well. I had a father in the business, um, and I had. Uh, it's funny. The people that I know, the kid actors I know, like Kurt and and uh, Ron Howard, they all had a father in the business uh, mm-hmm. who sort of protected them. Mm-hmm. Another good friend of mine is John Provost, who was Timmy on Lassie. Oh, sure. Uh, and I did quite a few Lassies uh, as Timmy's friend, Mike. Mm-hmm. Yep. And. Uh, Johnny, you know, had a really tough time. He was such the center of a universe, and then suddenly at, at 18, he was a nobody, you know, and very tough. But he's turned out great. And but, how, do we, you know, how do we prepare kids but, for that? Yeah, absolutely. You had a blast. That's I the had point. A blast. You had a and blast. And my parents always said the same thing to me all the time was, do you want to do this? That's my dad used to say me about tons of stuff. Do you yeah. want to, that's great advice. What was school like for you? Uh, well, when you were working, you know, you had three hours of school on the set. But you had a tutor. Mm-hmm. And I did a, a TV series called Riverboat. I was the cabin boy on Riverboat with wow. Darren McGavin mm-hmm. uh, and an actor who was doing his first job, Burt Reynolds. And uh, <laughs> so on that, I was the one kid on the show. Mm-hmm. And I had this teacher. Uh, I was fifth, sixth grade at that point. And that's when I became a scholar because I had this tutor, <laughs> this wonderful lady, mm-hmm. Mrs. G, who turned me into a student because it was one-on-one mm-hmm. even though it was only three hours it was three hours of one-on-one tutoring wow um so i lucked out there someone like john provost tells me uh you know i never became a student because they were interrupting my studies every 15 minutes you know the rule was that you had to work 20 minutes in school before they could yank you out and put you in the scene but john was he was in every shot on lassie you know, he and right. the dog. And uh, so, yeah, some people have, have bad memories of it all. I don't uh, with with the schooling. It was really good. That's Do great. you remember having, like, a best friend at that time? Someone that you'd have, like, sleepovers with or? Yeah. You know, when I would go back to regular school, mm-hmm. yeah, I had friends. I had a lot of friends. And I had neighborhood friends. I had, you know, in North Hollywood, we we always. And <laughs> one of them I ran into about three years ago. Actually, he's one of the co-owners of the Dodgers now. Oh, wow. Bobby Patton. And uh, uh, he said, you know what I remember about you, McGreevy? I said, what? He said, <laughs> he said, I was getting ready to, on, getting on my bike one morning to go to school, you know, to ride <laughs> up to school. And he said, and I looked over to your house. We, we lived Caddy Corner. And he said, I looked over to your house, and there was a uh, Cadillac limousine out in front of it. <laughs> Those I'm are the good days. Those are wonderful, <laughs> especially with the neighbors see. You live for those. <laughs> and I said, really? And I remembered now when my mom couldn't drive me mm-hmm. on Riverboat. This was Riverboat. Mm-hmm. The Universal would send over one of their, their cars and, and bring me to the studio. <laughs> so, But, you know, that stuff, I, I never thought it was anything. The other thing is I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. All Everybody, it was a company town. 
Uh, everybody worked in the business. Yeah. It mm. wasn't um wasn't a big deal. You know, oh, you're an actor? Well, my sister's an actor too, you know. And the stories I hear about the San Fernando Valley in the 50s and the 60s and the cruising, what a time that must have oh, been. Oh, it was great. Yeah, it's it changed great. a lot. Oh, yeah, unfortunately. I still love it. I mean, I came from New York, and I heard about it growing up and everything. I, I still dig the valley. I yeah. Mean, it's a beautiful, amazing place to me still, you know. I agree with you. I, uh, but I mean, it was different back then. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. Song number two. Ooh. <laughs> we like to chat about the dresses we will wear tonight. We chew the fat about our dresses and the neighbors fight. Sexier. Inconsequential things that really sexy. I'm not that schooled. I'm not that educated. Crimea River. Essential things that women find so apropos. But that's Julie a game. We're all Julie the same. London. Julie it's London. Just a game. See, this is not. We call it good. This is so sexy, <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah. I love. Good. I grew up on this kind of big band music, ballads, American yeah. songbook. These are amazing. What, what, why? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, we were just saying that growing up in San Fernando Valley, everybody, you know, our friends, their parents worked in the business and some of our friends parents were major stars <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I knew two gals two ladies Stacy and and Lisa Webb whose father was Jack Webb and uh, <laughs> Jack Webb uh, and their mother was Julie London the actress and that's singer. Jack Webb's wife Jack Webb's I wife. have a buddy who's going to listen to the show and beat the crap out of me for not knowing this because he loves this John Murphy who we met oh, when yeah. he was on the show. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, is, yeah. Jack and Julie did divorce. Yeah. yeah. And Julie remarried and married a guy named Bobby Troop, who was an actor and composer, jazz pianist, uh, who wrote some songs like Route 66. Mm-hmm. And this oh, particular song, Girl Talk, is written by Bobby Troop for his wife, Julie London, and recorded for. Their house became, I know every, every teenager had one house that they went to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Julie London Bobby Troop house with Stacy and Lisa Webb was what, where our group went, <sighs> which was a little, a little different than most people, I'm sure. But, uh, and we'd go up there on the weekends at night. And the thing that I remember the most is, and, and didn't appreciate it at the time, unfortunately, the people that would show up. And what would happen around, they had this huge family room, and it had two grand pianos and a full kit, a drum kit. Jack loved music. He was an audiophile, right? right? Well, Bobby, yeah. And, but, but Bobby oh, was this is the real Bobby musician. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Bobby's best friend was a guy named Tony Matola. Okay. Uh, Tony Matola. Great jazz guitarist. I didn't know any of this stuff, of course, because uh-huh. I'm listening to the Beatles at the time. You right. Know? But, and, uh, um, whole lot of love, uh, but um, on the weekends people would show up, and as uh, more and more alcohol was consumed and the time passed, at about one o'clock they would gather around the pianos, and Bobby and whoever else was there, 
people like Mel Torme would start singing and playing music. And what were you were doing? Well, you were hanging out. I was hanging out with with Lisa and Stacy and my friends. We were all teenagers, and I, you know, and Julie was such a gracious host, and uh, as you said, sexy. Uh, even as a teenager, here's this 45-year-old woman or whatever she was at the time. Um, you know, I had a major crush on her. Well, she was also like a pinup model at the time, oh, too. My God. Yeah. And a real, a real, a real broad. That's all you can say. <laughs> besides, be, besides your, your, you know, interest in older women. Yes. Um, <laughs> this is a theme here, <laughs> which I like. Uh, but I, Mike, I, I just was, realized that. What was your what was what was happening in your dating life at this time in your life, that, given your career? I had, I had deliberately said I'm not going to uh, work. I'm going to only work summers. Uh, during high school because I wanted to have, quote, a normal high school you experience. You Yeah, I did. Interesting. And my parents let me do that. And I turned down a huge role that later became the starting point for my dear friend Kurt Russell. There was a series called The, the Adventures of Jamie McFeeders, and they offered me the, the lead role of Jamie McFeeders. And I turned it down uh, because I wanted, I didn't want to do a series again. And uh, Kurt ended up doing it. <laughs> and, uh, and it sort of started his career. Lauren Michaels asked me if I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. And, and I you was, turned him down? I, I was doing a pilot for Bernie Brillstein here in L.A. So, well, I got this pilot, Lauren. <laughs> Are you serious? Cricket, Is that cricket? true? It's damn true. I've yeah. never heard that story. Jim Biederman we from all have Video those. Center. We all have those. I mean, I wanted to. I just got stumbled up. Yeah. But, I, but I, you didn't know. No, and, and I can honestly say, Mike, in my career— which has been a career. It's all good now. You don't look back on that stuff like that's. Well, there's some disappointments. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, no I don't regret. Make me feel better about myself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't regret turning down things that I turned down. You know, yeah. my God, we were talking about Burt Reynolds earlier, and mm. and Burt, <laughs> you know, he used to tell jokes on himself about how bad he was the stuff he turned down. I mean, that he the, the choice he made. Oh my God! You know, yeah. was, I forget what they were, but they were like these. You know, it was when he was really big. Yeah. And, uh, he turned him down. And he said, "But I chose to do Bandit Three. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. That any of us have any real. I, 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 yeah. It's interesting you tell that story, and and you'll know as the show continues on. A lot of it is about me and name dropping and how I fit into everybody else's life. So. I was just gonna. <laughs> I was just gonna ask you, David, how you're feeling because we call him Hollywood's secret weapon because affectionately he does just name drop all these people that he knows, and I think I do the same. Mike, I'm awful. you are the the first guest that is out name dropped him. <laughs> That's where you were going. My my friend, I have a friend, Ira Bear, a writer, um, and he calls me uh, Zelik. You remember the uh, the Woody Allen film where Zelik was this guy? It was a, a mockumentary thing where the guy, who, whoever he was around, he became part of like, them, like a Walter Mitty kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. And then I became uh, Forrest Gump, obviously. You know, because, just stumbling and <laughs> stuff. Yeah, no, I'm but then, that, that, you know, I was running it. I knew everybody. You know? I, I, but the problem is, is if we really know them, are we name dropping? I don't know. Well, it's it's my my claim to fame is I've had a front row seat on some of the coolest stuff that's gone down between like '87 and 2005. You know, there was just some. It's it's I a fun. Hear them, yeah. Oh, another show, another time. In okay. fact, I, I'm, I'm, I got you booked on another show. We'll talk after this, which is so, so much about that. What's the nugget 
Um, just that she's from California, from Santa Rosa, and started out as an actress in pinup, and then a went pin on pinup like a like a forties like pin a model, up. yeah, um, and the, and then she went on, which I found fascinating, to start her singing career and released over forty albums. The last song that she ever recorded was "My Funny Valentine," Dime. a cover of that for oh. Burt Reynolds' movie Sharky's Machine. Oh. The and and Julie always said she was an awful singer. She would say, "I'm I'm awful, darling," and. Uh, God, I, I I I now listen to her. Uh, I didn't pay that much attention. The one story I do want to tell you: the the final uh, moment of of those nights up at the the troop, the London home. I was doing a movie called Death of a Gunfighter with, with Richard Widmark, and Lena Horne was in it. Another name dropping mm-hmm. thing. Amazing. This is... I became good friends with Lena, and I I don't know how it happened. Oh, the the, the screenwriter James Calvelli was a friend of Julie and, and Bobby's too. And we said, Lena, you should come up to the, you know, we both said you should come up and see Julie. And she said, I've never met Julie, you know, and or Bobby. I guess she knew Bobby, but not Julie. Anyhow, long story short, Lena Horn shows up up there. And late at night, accompanied by Bobby Troop and Tony Mottola, Lena Horn and Julie London sing Stormy Weather together you know that song maggie uh-uh. stormy weather whether or not we're together it's raining all the time uh i i will never forget that moment yeah it was magical uh and you knew it you, you were aware of what was happening I, at that, that point i was because i yeah. i knew who lena was and i you know and i knew who julie was at by then yeah i was yeah. old enough i was 20 i think at that time that's when so. i yeah that's like an Instagram moment, like where you're just like, oh, how do I capture this and put it in a yeah, bottle to save wouldn't, it? Wouldn't you have loved to have had, yeah, or I take a picture of it. I'm glad it's in our bottle right now on Y-Tune Shelf. Mm-hmm. This is yeah, there you go. Stuff, I, I'm glad I shared it with you. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the computer wore tennis shoes most of the time. I didn't know we were going to go. We'll get direction. there. We'll get there. <laughs> All right, here we go. Song, My last song. Song number three. Now I'm alive. Yeah. <laughs> Best song ever. Now I'm born. Best song ever. I may not always love you. California boy. But long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. God only knows what I'd be. Without you If you should ever leave me Though life will still go on, believe me The world could show nothing to me So what good would living do me? God only knows what I'd be without you So good. So why this song? Why the Beach Boys? Well, actually, I, I, I'm feeling like a jerk now. I knew the Beach Boys. Um, no, oh man. My my, there's name dropping and there's actual experiences. I'm a name dropper. Okay. You've had experiences. I, did, I didn't with really these know all the Beach Boys. I, I knew Dennis very well. Um, of course. Who, Why wouldn't you? Who was a madman. Yeah. Yeah. You live here? You worked here? Yeah. 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 And actually, we, we 
I got into sailing in my early 20s and, and had a, uh, a boat down in Marina del Rey, and so did Dennis, and, and we became friends. Uh, Dennis sort of spiraled away from me because of uh, some of his addictions and stuff. But uh, So I did know... I did know the the Beach Boys, but this song really is more personal for me. This is about my wife and my family, really. Yeah, uh, this is our song, Debbie and I, and it's been for forty one years. How did you meet Debbie? I was when I was living in the marina. Uh, there was a house party. I had two room, two crazy roommates, who uh, one of them was a law student at Loyola Marymount. And he invited some of his friends to the party. Uh, and it, the house we lived in was a three, I shouldn't tell this story, but a three-story three house. <laughs> Go on, please. Uh, and I was on, started the night on the first story <laughs> and broke up with my, my girlfriend at the time. Sorry, Melissa. And uh, the second story went down and was thinking... Lisa Webb, who was an old friend, oh yeah, had had a breakup, and you know how old friends uh -huh. do. But if you're not married by the time you're thirty, yeah, yeah, yeah it was one of those deals. Yep. And Lisa and I kissed. I remember we kissed. I'm on the second story with Lisa, and we looked at each other and started giggling. You uh -huh. know? It's like <laughs> this is never gonna happen. You know, you just know <laughs> yeah. that you're friends and you're not gonna have that that spark. Yep. So. I headed down to the third level, the lower level, and went behind the bar to mix a drink and looked up. And I swear to God, I looked across a crowded, smoky room and saw this angel. And I knew right then. You know? Right then. Wow. Yeah, I did. I went over. <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we know how that works. Okay, thank you for revealing that. It took me a few months. Yeah, but, uh, And uh, we were always... Um, on our first date or whatever it was, we discovered that we both loved the Beach Boys. And uh, that song just sort of became, once we got married and and had our children too, um, I sort of see that song as a, it's such a beautiful song and Carl's voice is so ethereal almost. It's, yeah. Uh, that it, it applies to everything. I, God only knows what I'd be without my children. Right. You know, mm -hmm. God only knows, and we, I think we all feel that. And, mm -hmm. and Brian just nailed the, the lyric too with this gorgeous. Every time I hear that song, I just who who wrote that song? It was Brian, Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson yeah. wrote that song, right? I, I think I don't know if he did the lyric. The lyric might have been with. Um, I, I, it's from Pet it's, Sounds, I think. Yeah, it's all. Mm -hmm. it's yeah. all yeah, it's all in the uh, family. Yeah, 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 for sure, yeah. for sure. Um, but uh, I've been a very lucky man. My personal life has been even better than my professional life, uh, and my professional life's been damn good. So, Sweet. Uh, but I think the thing that you, when you turn seventy, which I just did, congratulations, congrats, yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Um, that you appreciate the most is your family. Yeah, and I was blessed to have my initial family was wonderful. And uh, the family that I helped create has been wonderful, too. You guys are getting me very serious. <laughs> this is why Tune Shuffle, Mike. We, I... we go deep. <laughs> so you have you have two daughters? 
No, I have two sons okay. and a daughter, Heather. Heather's the ballet, the ballerina. Uh, who is now uh, a producer at WNET in New York uh, on the Nature Show and Masterpiece Theater. Wow. Uh, yeah, you two would hit it off. <laughs> uh, my oldest son, Matthew, is uh, the head guy at Epitaph Records uh, in Los Angeles. That's cool. <laughs> yes. And uh, my baby boy, Tyler, to the shock of all of us, is an accountant <laughs> <laughs> in San Francisco. And, uh, and But they're, they're all, all happy. They're all happy. They're all doing well. Um, uh, Heather's married to a wonderful Brit, a crazy Brit. And... Uh, um, uh, Tyler, I think he's been with this lovely girl for about three years now. I think that's mm. going to happen sooner or later. Yeah. So, it just your you know your children obviously born raised in Southern California and you know through their times. But when you I, I think back at like the Beach Boys in the '60s and I'm I mean I was born in '64 and kind of became aware in '69 when Mom went to Woodstock and I was kind of tuning in Why? as as others were turn, tuning out. How, how did that whole deal affect you? Did you fall into any kind of following of the the, the love and peace movements? Yeah, I did. Uh, I was um, number one with the Beach Boys. I was a surfer. My parents always had a place in Laguna Beach, and uh, we would spend the whole summer there and. Every weekend, you know, my dad would get away and we'd go down to the beach. So the the surf songs were, were sort of important to me from that standpoint. Once I got to college, yeah, I grew my hair long. And did. <laughs> I would have loved to have gone to Woodstock with your mother. <laughs> I would have, too. I would have, too. And she would have taken us. <laughs> Grandma Bolt was like, yeah, take the kids to Woodstock. <laughs> so I was at UCLA from 1967 to, I graduated in 70. Mm-hmm. So... That was the time we were, you know, we shut down the university in my junior year for the against the war, mm-hmm. and uh, Kent State had happened. And it was it was exactly what it's now being depicted at. It was probably, well, times are tumultuous now, but I would say those times were really. That's my follow up mm-hmm. question. Yeah, comparing those days to these days, I mean, my parents are leaning toward this is even Get more tumultuous <laughs> yeah but it's not that different right or what we're going through it's very different it it for me it's different my my kids you know are struggling with it uh, and all I, I tell everybody is just voice what you what you believe and and back up what you believe and vote and go out there and vote mm-hmm. you know that's how the the advantage in this country, and you can change things. That's what we found out in the 60s. Changed everything, mm-hmm. I thought, for we, good. We ended a war. We got rid of a president. Amen. Amen. And my generation, I think we, we are proud of that. I think we're all disappointed now that we've sort of backtracked in the gains that, that we felt we made. Watching this stuff with the gun control stuff at Parkland and those young people really gives me major major hope and and belief that we're absolutely the work that the we're in good shape i agree yeah thank you for sharing that you're welcome all right here we go oh my god song number four extend the show extend the show i know where we are now mike He remembers the moves, ladies and gentlemen, because Mike is dancing. Yeah. Oh, wow. 
What a pick. I would not see this one coming. Really? I, I did Mike would pick fame. Because there's, I don't know, talk to us. All right. This is, a, you know, multi-level. Uh, again, It's it, it, what's interesting about your show is that I have lots of different <laughs> levels connected to this song. Oh. Yeah, because when the original movie came out, I loved it because it was about young people who loved music and dance and you know it was Mickey and Judy you know yeah. sure, it was, sure it was this perfect blend of stuff and then you know the heavens smiled down on me and uh, I was writing by then and producing a television series some examples real quick of what you were uh, on the on. Waltons you uh, were writing on the Walt thank uh, you yeah yeah <laughs> and we got a call from MGM oh no I I freelanced one fame I, oh, I, you did. I wrote a, a, a an episode, and uh, it was called Breakdance. And uh, little did I know that I would end up writing the most fame episodes and producing the last three seasons of it. But uh, MGM called up and said, actually, they fired the person that I liked, Bill Blinn, that had brought me onto the show, uh, and was one of my mentors. They fired him and and brought in new people and. MGM sort of felt, I think, that they wanted someone from the old group to sort of protect that that end of it. But anyhow, I benefited from it because mm-hmm. I got to do what I wanted to do my whole life, was uh, to be involved with a Broadway show every week. Amazing, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? It happened. By the end, we were doing three production numbers, at least four songs. The scripts themselves, you know, normal hour scripts are 60 pages. Our scripts got down to like 38, 40 pages because we had so much singing and dancing. Wait, were you helping to write music also? No, I wish I wish I'd had that talent. No, wow. there was some wonderful people. A, a guy named Gary Scott was the music supervisor on the show, but he had some pretty good friends that would come in when we were in trouble. Uh, we had, we had a show one time where we needed a song, and what we would uh, Gary would put out a you know, a thing for all the composers in town, and they would submit samples, and we would pick. And most of the time, we found something right away. This one time, a couple of times, we, we couldn't find it, and it was such an important song. So Gary would bring in his friends, and the one friend would come in, and I remember he'd bring his little keyboard, and, and in the room, this guy wrote a song that's still one of my favorite songs on, on the Fame series, and... Uh, it was Randy Newman. Wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, of course, took no credit for it. And, uh, really? No. No. He was, you know, Randy was Gary's friend doing Gary a, a favor, you know. It was just so much fun for me because, again, I was dealing with dancers. And mm-hmm. those were my people. Yeah. Some of the young dancers on the show didn't know that that was my background. Debbie Allen did know. and uh, But we had some wonderful choreographers, and especially Debbie. And... Uh, I do remember one time we were doing sort of a, uh, a tribute to 42nd Street. So we had a tap number, huge tap number on the stairs and stuff, and, and with 25 people tap dancing at the same time. Yeah. And amazingly, at that point in the late 80s, a lot of the dancers didn't have a lot of tap background. Tap had sort of become passe. And so we had to bring in special people to sort of help. And... Uh, what I would do is, is I'd have to go down and, and preview the numbers in the rehearsal halls. 
uh, in the evenings before they shot him two days later. And uh, so I went down to watch his tap number, and I said, no, it's not working. They all looked at me like, what are you talking about? And there was a pair of tap shoes there, so I put them on. And, you? <laughs> yeah. That's and I said, wild. it's this. It's, it's dun, <laughs> and da, these da, kids da, all went, da, da, da. Uh, yeah. Mikey, I was saying, you were asking me what to call me. Uh, somehow on that show, I became Mikey. Uh, there was a, a commercial. Uh, hey, Mikey. Uh, hey, Mikey. He likes it. Mikey Life likes cereal. it. Life and cereal. That was, They'd say, Mikey, do you like it? Hey, Mikey, <laughs> he likes it. Yeah, that's I right. took my mother. My mother came and had lunch to, to be with her producer friend, showrunner <laughs> friend, uh, um, son. And uh, we went to lunch, and then we went down to the set, and everybody was there. And she met Debbie Allen, and she met the whole cast, and she was just thrilled. But as we were walking back <laughs> to the office, she said, you let them call you Mikey? <laughs> <laughs> That's showbiz. But it was probably the most fun I ever had. Uh, it just was everything that I dreamed about, you know? And and it is. There's no doubt. All well, right, let's Maggie's wrap a little up. bit above the... Above the this above one's an her. obvious one. With uh, song number five. You wish upon a star Makes no difference who you are Anything your heart desires will come to you. If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. When you out of all the versions to have picked why rod stewart ah uh, you know it's funny uh, the cliff edwards one which is the original mm-hmm. and they have the disney chorus and mm-hmm. it doesn't have what i think the song uh, the feeling i mean it was great for the movie but the, the what i believe the song the feeling that that I get from the song comes through in Rod's voice mm-hmm. for me, and, and that styling. Uh, it's sort of a jazzy, very smooth, emotional, and that's that's why this song. Obviously, I chose the song because of my Disney background, but I do remember seeing Pinocchio in the theater as a child too, <gasps> and uh, then, you know, once I met. Uh, Mr. Disney, uh, and at one point in a conversation, he said, I'm paraphrasing, something about, uh, well, if you don't have dreams, what have you got, Mike, you know? And uh, later on, a lot of people told me that that this was his favorite song of all the the Disney uh, songs. So, and as we've already discussed, my time at that studio, it was um, very different from the rest of the studios for a child actor because they had so many children working over there. Mm. So the crews were sort of trained to treat you better than you got treated at Universal or 20th or Warner Brothers. And there was always a family feeling on that lot. And that, it came from the top, you know, obviously. That, and the, the loyalty, all the movies I did over there in my 20s, it had the same crew. We were like, 
it was fun. I mean, it was like going to summer camp, you know. Yeah. It was just this wonderful feeling. And the other thing about that is without knowing it, I truly believe that that song. Uh, I know, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like believing in Santa Claus, I know. But there's something that that I, I I believe... not the actual act of wishing on a star, but committing you to a dream it, yeah. and working towards that, that it can be achieved, you know? And uh, naive as that sounds, I, even at 70, I feel that way. Anything can happen. Yeah. Put uh, it out I, there. Yeah, I think it, it comes, for me, it, it, I mean, I'm, I'm 54 now and, and next year AARP and, and those are things I think about. <laughs> you start getting it in the mail. It's or, really, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm it's told, really abusive. I'm told, but I'm looking at the uh, the, the apartment listings on Craigslist and yeah. over 55, woo, Ooh, we're going to save a little stuff. bit of money next year, honey. Uh, but, but no, I, I, I think that gets to the crux of what I think most of us are looking for in, in some kind of a spiritual, if you will, connection to the meaning of all of this. And it's like, you're allowed to dream and i i sincerely believe that that our shared dream uh i sincerely believe that our shared dream you know on that on that note it results in it coming to life and 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 my part in a dream may not be participating in the actual coming true of it but it'll come true in some way shape or form right and and so yeah, dream keep dreaming it helps all of us yeah it's yeah. it's a it's a it's a global thing <laughs> I'm, I'm a hippie kid i can you tell i was mm-hmm. a flower yeah. child <laughs> yes the, the other the other part of that is my wife and i go to disneyland a lot yes yeah 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 and um there's just something about that place. A, a month ago, I was I was there with my girlfriend. That, yeah, that it's just you you can put all the crap away and and you go in and everybody's happy, you know, and nobody's uh, nobody's mad at one another. And... I, I got to plug it because I went in a little bit, kind of like hundred and four. Are you kidding? Like I did have an ed- we had a kid with us and we had friends from Brazil with us and I'm like this is a lot of. And at the end of that full day we put into Disney, I left the park saying, that's the cheapest show in town. And what a show. Yeah. What a show. The ending Phantasm now, uh-huh. what they've done oh, with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We when saw those it ships just, come out, yeah. it's like I've been, I've been to Rolling Stones. I've been <laughs> to Aerosmith. They rocked Phantasm. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. It's the cheapest, it's the cheapest date at Disney. It's really great for what you get. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a memory of time spent with Mr. Disney that sticks out to you in particular? You know, in a strange way, I mentioned to you that I used to play ping pong with him. And uh, those were the times that were maybe the most intimate. I mean, we weren't, uh, he was just a guy, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he really, he, he really loved people. Um, the, the other thing that that someone asked me the other day and and my memory and now it's sort of a sad memory was that he smoked a lot um yeah yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. those times though everybody right yeah and that you know that took him away from us way too soon um i did meet you know i became good friends with his daughter diane uh after his passing and ron miller his his uh son-in-law uh, and I recommend to anybody to go up to they uh, Diane unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, um, but um, she was able with her oldest son and uh, Ron 
to open the Walt, Fa- uh, Walt Disney Family Museum in the Presidio in, in San Francisco. Oh, wow. And it is an amazing day. It's a day. Um, it, you really, as you leave there, you know, of course, I, I, you know, my wife said, oh, God, you're <laughs> going to cry in every room, you know, because, uh, you know, I have a more personal connection. But I would think anybody, and I see that in, in, at Disneyland, and I saw it at the museum, how this man uh, has touched all of us through his work. Um, you know, I can say everybody's a human being. I'm sure he had flaws. But boy, what a legacy, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and there, those movies that I made at Disney were, were silly, silly movies that, you know, in my 30s and 40s, I, I, I didn't tell anybody I ever did, you know. Mm-hmm. And now I'm proud of them because um, they hold up. Yeah, and the yeah. Disney family's fun to see around town, too. Yourself, and then there's Dick Van Dyke over in Malibu at Starbucks in line. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I bumped that. <laughs> That's okay, Dick Van Dyke. You're fine. You know, it's, it's a family Love thing. It really... Dick Van Dyke. God. He's our, he's our Is, family. <laughs> can you... I heard through the grapevine this amazing story about this restaurant that you guys like to go to, and he would like this garlic loaf bread. Oh, yeah. Can you tell the that story? House. Yeah. The smoke. <laughs> it's still... They reopened it. It's mm-hmm. over here in Toluca Lake. It's mm-hmm. five minutes away. Um, Walt, Walt loved this. When it opened in 1946, I uh-huh. think, and they built the studio in the early 50s there. And so he was... It was close, so he could leave and have lunch over there. And uh, he was eating the garlic bread, and it was fabulous. And I still eat the garlic bread. It's... It, best stuff I've ever eaten in my life. <laughs> it's addictive. But his wife, Lillian, said, you know, you're uh, putting on some weight here. Is this the garlic bread, you know? So Lillian had said to the secretary, you know, don't let him go one, <laughs> one, once every two weeks, go to the smokehouse. You know? And uh, so he was limited to that. But one, one time he went in and he called the owner over and said, uh, you ever think of letting the garlic bread be made to go? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the guy said, no. He said, I think you should do that. <laughs> so Walt Disney talked them into making to-go orders of the garlic it's bread. Garlic bread. <laughs> so he could bypass not having to go to the, the restaurant. Very clever. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. clever. Very human. That you know, and when you look at his body of work, that's what's so great. He he really understood his humanity, so he could communicate it to all these artists and to an audience. And that's why we love all this stuff. I was just at the Autry. I told you, and, and I was yeah. reminiscing about westerns and stuff. And and one of the my I was my hero was uh, Harry Carey Jr. who played. Uh, um, Bill, the the stable guy. Yeah. And when I when I found out I was going to get to meet Harry Carey Jr., it was like, <laughs> and he became a good friend, Do- Doby Carey. That Autry Museum is incredible. And Doby said, uh, "You remember that?" I said, "Oh God!" I said, "Doby, it's my favorite. It's been a Marty with that." And he said, "You know, I probably worked a week on that." <laughs> really? Because they were short segments. They really they, they and were. And he he was not in everyone. And, yeah, they're transitional yeah, things. Uh, yeah, they were they're powerful though. They're, I just I totally remember that. And speaking of Jack Webb, the Screen Actors Guild did a uh, 
radio thing, All in the Family and the and the and the Dragnet uh, radio series, and I uh, got to be George Feminine. Oh, and I got to you know he was a neighbor. George was a neighbor of mine in Westlake for oh, years, and a huge fan from the Groucho Show and stuff, and to yeah. be on the Autry stage and do uh, you know. Uh, a, a version of the radio play from Dragnet. Oh, we could go on and on and on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, that was an incredible Fate Five. Uh, yeah, to say the least. <laughs> I know. So at this point in the show, this is where we let David take over and uh, navigate and us through <laughs> navigate us through a game yeah. we like to call band name or bar name. That's right, Maggie. I rarely take over this show until <laughs> I'm always buttoned in when I shouldn't. But yeah, that's right. It is time for Y2 and Shovel, band name or bar name. This is a game, Mike, where I'm going to take you on a trip somewhere in the world, and I'm going to clue you and Maggie in on the name of a bar in this particular area, and then I'm going to clue you in on the name of a band that plays around this particular area, and your job is to determine, well, which is the name of the bar and which is the name of the band? You okay. understand the rules on that? I got it. Okay. I sort of. Yeah. And uh, you will win absolutely nothing if you're right, and you will lose nothing if you're wrong. Because, Good. Um, so each week, our guests will uh, suggest, after they've played the game, where we're going to go, and... Um, we're now our last guest, uh, who, uh, gosh, do you remember his, I can't remember his name. LaCroix. Greg Roquet. Okay, that's the name. I couldn't do the last name. Roquet. Said, let's go to Missoula, Montana. So imagine you're in Missoula, Montana. I've been there. Which is the home of the famous David Lynch, um, film director, writer, wonderful. You've been to Missoula, so this might work out in your favor, Mike. <clears throat> I've probably been to the bar. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, I'm going to say to you and Maggie, hey, we're in Missoula. Let's go grab something to eat. I suggest we go to Paradise Falls. It's great mm. food there. And guess, guess who's playing tonight? Universal Choke Sign. Universal Choke Sign will be playing at Paradise Falls tonight. So we we got we got to go. Or I could just as easily say to you guys, you guys hungry? Universal Choke Sign. It's a great place to eat. Believe me. And by the way, Paradise Falls is playing. So we got to go, right? Maggie, Mike, which is the name of the bar, in Missoula, Montana? Which is the name of the band? I'm gonna go with, with the band is a Universal Choke Sign. Why? Why would you? And. Uh, Bars Paradise Falls. Any particular reason? I think it is in, the dumbest game in, in the world. So in Missoula, uh, the, the uh, what was the David Lynch uh, series? Uh, uh, Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. I think there was a Paradise Falls. Um, Oh, wow. In, in Mike might be on to something. I was going to say Paradise Falls sounds like a brewery, and that's where I was, I was going to say that's the bar. Yeah. Okay, so you had a completely different take on, on why you chose Paradise yeah, Falls. Yeah, but the, the same, the, I guess the same ga- way. Gastropub type place. Yeah, and as far as the band name, you know, my as I told you, my son head, heads up Epitaph Records, which is the punk rock label. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Okay. It, it sounds like a punk rock band. I mean, I, I used to just call up Matt and say, have you signed anybody new? Because I always yeah. love to hear these, the names. The names. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was, and no uh, restaurant is going to put choke in the title yeah, of their yeah. restaurant. That's not good. I was going to call Greg Roquet and say, thank you for this suggestion because I'm going to nail them on this. This is great because if you find yourself at 7359 and 3621 Brook Street, Missoula, Montana, area code 59801, you would in fact be... At Paradise Falls, a wonderful nice. gastro pub, great food, great folks, great atmosphere. 
probably wouldn't hear the band Universal Chokeside. They are a punk rock band that plays out of Missoula. They actually started in Boston, Massachusetts, and they continue to play out all over Montana and all over the United States. So thanks to them for being part of our game, and congratulations, wow. you're both winners. <laughs> Nicely done. Way to go, Nicely Maggie. Done. That's band name or bar name, but Mike, now you've got to take our guest next week somewhere, anywhere in the world. So oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Scary. <laughs> so you yeah, get to right. pick a city anywhere in the world. Okay. Um, let's do um, Manchester, England. Manchester, Ooh. England, England. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. <laughs> That's where we'll go next week, folks. Thanks for listening and playing. And uh, anybody want to sponsor the show? Your name here. <laughs> Email us at ytunedshuffle at gmail.com. Thank you very hard, Mike. We would love to hear the story of your very first concert experience. I guess we're not talking about like when I was a kid, I, you know, I was in Las Vegas performing. Uh, so we would go. There was a tradition on the old strip of you would come in three days ahead of time before your your run and do all your your uh, orchestra rehearsals and run throughs. Uh and those three nights, you would go down the strip and see the shows um, of everybody. But that's not really the concert. The first concert I ever went to, which is really amazing, were the Beatle concert at the Hollywood Bowl. Wow! You were there. 65. I have the album. Wow. I have the album. Well, it Live was at not... Live the Hollywood Bowl. It, uh, I was... I was... Uh, was it 64 or 65? It must have been 64. Uh, summer of 64. My sister uh, was uh, in high school at Immaculate Heart High School, and one of her girlfriend's father was a um, DJ at KFWB. And he got us uh, four tickets. Uh, and so my sister and two of her friends and, and I, my mom <laughs> dropped us off. We walked up the hill to the Hollywood Bowl and and later on came back, you know, to pick us up after it was over with. My only memory was I loved the Beatles at that point. But I was so mad because uh, I couldn't hear them. Screaming. What? These oh. friggin' girls <laughs> ruined the whole concert for oh, me. Oh, that's no. the biggest phenomenon. But you were there. I mean. Yeah. But I remember watching John. At one point, John walked to the side. That was when the pool was still there, too. And a couple girls tried to go through the pool, you know, to get to them. Uh, he walked to the side. And you almost felt like he was going to leave. <laughs> but he came back and he said, uh, okay, we'd like to play you a tune. Not that you're going to listen. Uh because they knew it. They were in yeah. at Shea Stadium, the wow. same thing, or Yankee yeah. Stadium. I think the same. Well, thing. I was lucky enough to later go. It must have been three years later, two years later. This was summer '64. Summer, late August '66. I went to Dodger Stadium and mm -hmm. saw the the Beatles, and it was a much different experience. It was their second to last. They went later went up to Candlestick Park, the next couple days, and that was their final live in the United States. Uh, and the, the Dodger Stadium uh, 
concert was really, really wonderful. There, there's a great announcer host, Bob Eubanks. Am I oh, right sure. on that? Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. did a show called The Dating Game or The, the right. Newlywed Game. And Bob, just a wonderful voice and yeah. wonderful guy. And I just love the fact that he was like, wasn't he instrumental on like producing the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl? Was it Bob Eubanks? Yeah, I think it was. It was KFWB, I know that. Yeah. And that's why we got tickets. Yeah. You know, the only reason that we got in. It's sort of like when I go to Mark and, <laughs> yeah. and see yeah. if he can wrangle me into a Oh, so you concert. were there. It's like that, yeah. that, that live Disappointing, album. Though. And, and really now good. here they are, the, <laughs> the Beatles. Beatles. Oh yeah, but you don't hear anything. Like, ah. It tell you something. But then, yeah, yeah, just the screaming, high pitched screaming. That's very weird. high pitched. What a weird oh. phenomenon that that was like. Yeah, I wonder if that was like a question when you were like courting a girl. Like, do you like the Beatles? You know, like how high pitched oh. can she go? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, they had to like the Beatles. They uh, had to. Yeah. Although my wife is, yeah, that, I, I tell the story, always, she's almost seven years younger than me. I, I robbed the cradle a little bit. <laughs> seven years. But uh, she's very mature. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there were, there were times when we were dating where, you know, I would bring something up like uh, The Graduate, the movie The Graduate. Sure. You know, when I was in college, that was, that was it, you know. I mean, I... Everybody identified with the graduate, and I'd say, "Well, you know, it's, it's like in the graduate." And my wife would look at me and say, "I've never seen it." <gasps> yeah, <laughs> and I would feel so old. Oh. <laughs> I feel that way with my kids now too. It is. It is interesting how sometimes yeah. these things. My my youngest Tyler will will say, we'll, "We'll hear a song or something on the radio," and he'll say, "You know that song, Dad?" And I go, "Well, yeah." <laughs> and he said, well, it's on, or no, it's, it, we were watching TV. It was a commercial. Oh, yeah. And they had something like Anticipation on or something. And he'd say, you know that song, Dad? <laughs> and I'd say, well, yeah, I was here when it was. <laughs> he said, oh, you mean it's an old song? You know? Oh, my God, that's so funny. Yeah. I mean, there's parents t- probably yeah. today talking about Prince is now being used for, uh, yeah. I think it's an insurance commercial. Yeah. Let's go crazy. Or Yeah. My son, Epitaph, they, they make a lot of money off of licensing uh, yeah. their, their music. Yeah. Just yeah. had a moment like that with my mom because I'm excited about the new A Star is Born movie with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. She's like, oh, that's a remake. I'm like, what? Oh. Is it? I had Twice. Yeah. Four times. Oh, my Four God. Times. Julie Garland's my favorite one. Yeah. That's oh, man. Yeah. I'm yeah. still excited about it. It's going to be great. It I will. think it's going to be I think great. So I think it's going to be better than the, the Streisand only, one. Yeah, the, yeah, the Streisand one wasn't very good. No. Uh, the original, the Janet Gaynor one, is, is it Janet Gaynor or? Well, I, I, it's I, pretty good. But yeah. the best one is the Garland. I think so. It's, it's yeah. it captures the '50s in a really interesting yeah. way. I'm, I'm psyched to see a star. I, I, I haven't been wanting to go to a film in some time. So It'll know. work. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, Bradley. I, yeah, he's a good actor. And he directed it too. Mm-hmm. So. Passion, he's got some. And you couldn't have picked a better choice for mm-hmm. Lady Gaga. Is Judy interesting. Garland. It'll be I mean, really yeah. interesting. Yeah. 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 It'll be fun. <laughs> well, thinking very hard. Then, what was the last show that you saw? The last concert you went to? Interesting. Speaking of Mark, uh, for the uh, the EF Wallagren Hoop, Hoop Fest. Hoop Fest. Uh, I guess it was two years ago. Because that's how long it's been since I've been to a real rock concert. Um, maybe three years. It was the Eagles at the pond in oh, uh, Anaheim. Nice. nice. And he was still alive. Um, Henley? Don. Uh, no, Don's still alive. But uh, the guy who passed away. Oh. Um, it was the last his time. Son, his son plays now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
It was the last time they were all together. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, have you ever seen them in concert? No. They are. They are the best. Well, they've 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 really taken a place in American history and uh, the American songbook. It's, it's and they sound exactly or better than they sounded thirty five years ago. That's a- which is a little scary, you know. That they they <laughs> still have it, you know. Yeah. Uh, I have tried to see Paul McCartney over and over and over again, and it's always turned out there was conflicts of, oh, of no. stuff when. So that's the last one that I would really. I wanted to see Paul Simon here at the bowl. I did just see that. I took my mom for Mother's Day, and that was pretty, was it great? Yeah, it was pretty remarkable. Well, Paul McCartney's popping up at like Grand Central yeah. State. Just well, walk he, around; he you'll just, run into him. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing, he's already put out another album, so he obviously is not going to retire. So no, hopefully, I'll get to see McCartney. I think again. so. But uh, yeah, the Eagles. Good show. Yeah. Started Very with the Beatles, show. ended with the Eagles. I think it's perfect. Yeah. This has been an absolutely. Wow. What a joy. What a pleasure. Yeah. Absolutely. Is it okay if we follow you on social media? If we keep up with anything that you're working on? Yeah, I'm, I'm retired. Um, but I actually, <laughs> I say I'm retired. Uh, I just did a very silly thing with a friend of mine, uh, just for fun. We're going to put it up, I think, on YouTube. Okay. Uh, and I'll let you know about it. It's it's called Taste Buds. And it's sort of a, a satire takeoff on all these uh, food critic and Chef shows. Oh, cool. Nice. And I pay Chef Lou. Chef Lou O'Malley. Oh, got to see this. Got (laughs) to see the taste buds. That's a great title. And uh, so, yeah, there's a few things out there, but I'm I'm basically enjoying retirement a lot. Okay. Uh, Well, then we'll keep it that way. But you can follow me. Okay. Where do we find you? On Facebook. On uh, IMDb. I am, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you can look me up on IMDb. I am on um, Twitter. Uh, Fancy. I, I like the Twitter. I like Twitter a lot. It's uh, McGreaves, M-C-G-R. That was one of my nicknames, McGreaves. McGreaves. Yeah. Mikey so, McGreaves, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Cool. Hey, McGreaves. Hey. Nice. So, um, yeah, I'm McGreaves on uh, Twitter and Michael McGreevy on Facebook. Um, not on all the other ones. That's okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for being so what generous with your time what Oh, this has been fun. Oh, my gosh. Your songs and your stories, and I'm so glad that we can capture them forever now. So it's thank great. you. It was a great uh, walk down memory lane for me. <laughs> Keep having fun, Mike. Yes, yes. thank okay. you. Keep dreaming. Thank you, David Earl Waterman, for being the best co-host ever. I love you, I love Maggie. the show. My name is Maggie Mayfield, and this has been uh, Why Tune Shuffle. If you haven't already, please like, su- subscribe, and share. Um, we're on all the social medias at Y-Tune Shuffle, and we are now on Spotify. Bingo. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Y-Tune Shuffle.